Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. Good evening. I would like to uh, welcome you to uh, 14th Street Ministries, Why Paul? Uh, I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And I'm your host, David Reed. And um, our host, uh, Michelle uh, Mix, is having computer problems. So she's with us, but not with us. So, um, Pam, would you uh, open up in prayer? Yes. Father God, we praise you, Lord, for the things that you um, give us each and every day, Lord, and how you um, guide and direct us, Lord, through your word. Lord, and we thank you for your spirit and how you empower us, Lord, to go day by day, Lord, and your, your mercies and your compassion, Lord, does not fail. Lord, we pray that you would be with the show tonight. We pray the Holy Spirit will guide and direct in every heart of every listener. Lord, most of all, we pray that salvation will come to the hearts of men and those that are lost. Lord, we pray that you encourage the listeners with the word of God tonight. Help us as we answer questions. And Lord, may your blessings go out to our listeners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's see. Tonight we have um, questions and answers again. And uh, these questions are going to be directed to uh, David. And uh, if you'd put, like to um, go ahead here, um, I'll ask the first question that we have received. Do ghosts spirits and demons really exist people wonder about that um and a lot of times i think people wonder uh, based upon things they've seen in movies so we've all seen movies where <clears throat> there are ghosts that haunt houses and they cause objects to fly around the room and all sorts of spooky stuff well the bible speaks of course of the holy ghost so the holy ghost or the holy spirit exists but other than that, ghosts don't exist. They're, they're just not a thing. Uh, there's no such thing as ghosts. The, the Bible doesn't word, use the word demon. Um, that, that is a Greek word, daemon. But in English, the word is devil. So do devils exist? Yes, devils do exist. And <clears throat> scripture also speaks of what it calls seducing spirits. If you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. This is probably the most helpful verse because people wonder, well, okay, if, if devils do exist, so we know there, there is the devil, Lucifer, who fell, but in addition to that, there are subordinate, there's lesser devils, fallen angels. What do they do? You know, do they, do they sit in hell? Do they, they occupy hell? But what is it that they do today? Look with me at 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now the capital S spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 
So what 1 Timothy 4 tells us is that in the latter times of the dispensation of grace, as we get to the end of the dispensation of grace, what people will do is they will depart from the faith. And so if you see people that go from sound doctrine into error, that's to be expected because that's what happens during the latter times. And the reason they do that is the verse says that they give heed to seducing spirits. So there are spirits that seduce people, that mm-hmm. lead people away from the truth. The verse then ends with doctrines of devils. Here's the key point. Devils don't haunt houses today. They don't possess people. They don't do things like that. What they do is they have doctrines. They have false teachings. Which, which emphasizes the following point. What do we need to do as believers? Well, if Satan's attacks against us are false doctrines, doctrines of devils, then our response needs to be to study the word so that we're not deceived by false doctrines. So that's just an important thing in terms of spiritual self-defense. We need to be studying the word so that we're not deceived because devils and seducing spirits do exist. So basically what you're saying, if I'm reading you right, Satan could take the word of God and twist it. Absolutely. Okay. When, um, when you think about Matthew 4, when the Lord tempts Satan in the wilderness, mm-hmm. each time Satan quotes a verse. Uh, when we already mm-hmm. studied earlier in this program several, several weeks ago, that when Satan tempted Eve, he quoted the word of God. Now, he misquoted it. He quoted it inaccurately, but he distorted it for his purposes, and he does that same thing today. Yeah, and that's why we need sound doctrine, and and, yes, and right do. and rightly dividing the word of truth. That Absolutely, is extremely important. Yeah, and I think that is important too. If if you don't know the word of God and you don't, you're not studying it, then these things the devil uses, Satan uses to to bring people away from the word. Um, just like the saints we were talking about last week, just people will say something. It's not even doctrinal. It's not even in scripture. There's no principle about it, but it sounds good. And then they take that as like God said it or scripture has said it. So that is, um, and like you said, movies tend to make us think that these are things that are in our home Um, spirits Mm -hmm. that are coming around our home from, you know, people who have passed on. Um, But if you don't know the word of God, you don't know where these things really stand. Yeah. First Thessalonians 521 says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And the concept is, you know, you can't just believe everything you hear. When you hear something, you need to search it out, figure out if scripture says it, And if it says it, then fine, hold on to it. But if scripture doesn't, then it would be a mistake to hold on to it. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Okay, that's good. Um, I have a question. Uh, Where does a Christian start to study for guidance in their walk and relationship with God? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. Now, the, the short answer to that question is, The whole Bible is profitable, so we should study the whole thing. But if we want to understand the part that is specifically written to us, that would be the books written by Paul, Romans to Philemon. 
Now, just to be clear, the whole Bible is true. The whole Bible is without error. You can learn from every verse of Scripture, and we should. But the fact of the matter is God didn't tell us to build an ark today. He didn't tell us to offer an animal sacrifice today because we don't live during the time of Genesis, and we're not under the Levitical law that's described in Leviticus. So the whole Bible is true, but we need to know the part that's written specifically to us. If you look with me at Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. So God gave the dispensation of grace directly to Paul, and he gave it to him to give to other people. It was given me to you word for Paul to give out. Verse 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. We live today during the dispensation of grace. We live during the time in which the mystery has been revealed. So it makes logical sense that the person who would tell us about that is Paul, the person to whom the mystery was given. Romans 11.13 describes Paul as the apostle of the Gentiles. Look with me. Let's do a comparison real quick. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 11. Ephesians 2.11, wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made with hands, that at that time, so verse 11 talks about time past, verse 12 says at that time, in other Mm -hmm. words, not now, but in the past, at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Notice verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. In other words, when you think about time past, when you think about how things worked under the Old Testament law, there was a difference between Israel and Gentiles. Israel had a superior position because they were God's chosen people. Gentiles were described as without Christ and without hope. But today things are different because we live in the but now. We live in a different time period, and that time period has been revealed to us by the Apostle Paul. That's why when a a Christian wants to start looking for guidance, where should you start? I would start in Romans to Philemon because that's the part that is written to us today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just think if you took yourself in your mind and put yourself back in Christ's earthly ministry as a Gentile, where would I be? That's right. Matthew 15, the Gentile woman that came to him for help, he, he described her as, as a dog, and she, yeah. was, she was not a yeah. child. It was a yeah. different situation. So I mm-hmm. would find my salvation in the revelations given to the Apostle Paul, right? That's what applies today. That's absolutely yeah. right. Very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. And plus those, um, those um, books, Romans through Philemon, are very practical and alive. I mean, they apply to everything that we have today. Yeah, that's even right. Even though they were yeah. written. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we have another one here. It's, uh, why does the rapture happen? Why does the rapture happen? Look with me at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So, the, the first thing that, that we need to understand is the dispensation of grace the age during which we live was an interruption of the prophetic calendar. So what do I mean by that? Look with me at Acts chapter two. 
So in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, so this is Pentecost, and notice what Peter says. Acts 2, 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In other words, Peter standing by the power of the Holy Ghost says, what you're witnessing is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Go down to verse 19. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. In other words, Peter in Acts 2 is saying, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel. You're going to see the sun turn to darkness. You're going to see the moon turn to blood. And you're going to see the coming of the great notable day of the Lord. In other words, you're going to witness the second coming. If you recall in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus Christ said, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. So in the Gospels and in Acts 2, Scripture describes the second coming as something that's going to happen in the not distant future. It will be within the generation of the people that were then living. But something happened. So look with me, if you would, uh, get Acts chapter 2 and look at verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. So in Acts 2, the Lord Jesus Christ had ascended to heaven, and he was sitting on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. But verse 35 says he was going to sit until the time that he stood up to make his foes his footstool. Now get Acts 7, 55. Acts 7, 55. Acts 7.55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. Mm. So in mm -hmm. Acts 2, the Lord was seated and he mm -hmm. was going to remain seated until he made his enemies his footstools. Acts 7, he's standing, which tells us what was he about to do? He was about to make his foes his footstool. He was getting ready to do that. But did the second coming already happen? Look with me at Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Well, what happened? In Acts 7, the Lord Jesus Christ was standing, and he was ready to return at the second coming and pour out vengeance on his adversaries. But what God did, it's very much like what happens in a basketball game or football game. He, he called timeout. He said, those Old Testament prophecies, I'm not going to fulfill them at this moment. I'm going to interrupt them. I'm going to put them on hold. I'm literally going to call a timeout and stop them from happening. And what he then did in Acts chapter 9 is he saved Saul and he gave Saul the revelation of the mystery, the dispensation of grace. So we live during a time period that is an interruption of the prophetic program. But let me ask you this. Is God a liar? Well, we know he's not. Is God going to ultimately accomplish everything that he said he would accomplish? Yes, he will. So we know that the dispensation of grace is only a temporary 
interruption of the prophetic clock. The prophetic clock is going to have to resume at some point. And here's why it resumes. Look with me at Romans chapter 11. Now, we saw in the earlier part of this program that during the dispensation of grace, Gentiles are made nigh. In time past, they had no hope. But today, during the dispensation of grace, they have direct access to God. That's wonderful. That's terrific. But notice with me a Romans 11.25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, notice, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. There's going to be a time when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, since we live during the dispensation of grace, it's a time in which Gentiles have direct access to God and can be saved. But what happens when Gentiles as a group decide, we don't want the gospel. We're not interested in what Christ did for us on the cross. We reject it. Well, when the Lord determines that the fullness of Gentiles has come in, that in other words, Gentiles no longer are interested in the free offer of salvation, what God will do is he will honor their choice and he will say, well, if, if you don't want the free offer of salvation, if you don't want what my son did for you on the cross, then the special access I've given you during the dispensation of grace, we can end that. So in other words, what causes the rapture to happen? Well, we live during the time when God has given Gentiles direct access to himself. And when Gentiles say, not interested, we don't want that, we don't care about that, God will say, very well then. Sorry to hear that, but I'm going to cut off your direct access, and I'm going to take the body of Christ to heaven, and the dispensation of grace will end at that point. And um, I'm, I'm glad I was able to join. So uh, we're going to uh, finish uh, with these questions, and we'll be right back um, right after this message. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show. Hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. 
Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul and welcome back i'm your host michelle mix i'm your host michael mix welcome back michelle Yes, welcome. And I'm your host, Pam Lampton. I'm your host, David Reed. All right. And so we're continuing. Uh, I just want to throw out there real quick that if anyone has questions uh, and you're listening to us live um, on Voice America, uh, you can email us as well at uh, michaelrmix at 14thstreetministries.com. And we'll be glad to answer your questions through the email and we can answer them um, on our uh, program as well. All right, so we'll go ahead and jump back into our questions. All right. Um, What happens to the body of Christ after the rapture? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So this is a glorious thing. We're going to get new bodies. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. When I have, Yay. I've bumped it into too many things, got too many scratches, bruises, um, not enough hair. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for my new body. And what happens at the rapture is we get a new one. Look with me at Romans 8.23. And part of getting a new body, uh, if you look at Romans 8.23, and, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Redemption is a term that is used in Scripture to describe something that is purchased out of debt or out of the bondage of slavery. So in other words, it's, 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 it's under bondage, it's under debt, it's, it's, it doesn't have liberty. And so what Romans 8.23 describes our current body as, is it's under bondage. And, and we all know that because it's going to decay and it's going to deteriorate and it's under the bondage of sin. Well, what happens at the adoption, uh, what people commonly call the rapture, is we get new bodies. So that's the first thing that happens to the body of Christ. Look with me at Romans chapter 14. After we get our new bodies, we go through an event that scripture calls the judgment seat of Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. 
But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment to determine whether or not people go to heaven. It is a judgment of only members of the body of Christ. In other words, it's a judgment only of saved people. So it's not deciding whether or not people go to heaven because everyone who's there is saved. But the purpose of that judgment is to reward believers based upon the life that they led on this earth. In in other words, here's what happens. The moment you believe the gospel today, in other words, you believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. When you put your faith in the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you, you are eternally saved at that moment. You can't lose your salvation. It is resolved. But you do get to decide every day, how do I live? Do I live my life in a way that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ, or do I live in a way that's not so great? Well, at the judgment seat of Christ, our service will be evaluated, and we will be rewarded according to that. 2 Corinthians 5, let's just look at that real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So when you think of Israel in time past, Israel was promised Canaan. They were promised the land of Palestine, the promised land, and they will inherit that land and they will dwell there on the new earth forever. Where's the body of Christ going to be? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 just told us that we have a house not made with hands and it's eternal in the heavens. So I have good news. If you ever wanted to be an astronaut, if you ever wanted to fly, but never had a chance to get your pilot's license, I have good news for you. If you're saved today, you're going to be eternal in the heavens. And let's look at one more verse on this. Get Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So how many spiritual blessings do you have? All of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it says there... It says he hath blessed us, past tense. So the wonderful news is the moment you got saved, you were blessed at that point in time with all, not some, all spiritual blessings. That's a great thing. But notice what it then says. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So are you already fully experiencing every spiritual blessing? You're not. Mm -mm. And the reason why you're not is you're not going to experience all of them until where? Till you get to heavenly places. So the, the glorious truth for, for those who are members of the body of Christ today, for those who are saved, is they've been blessed with not some, but all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And they're going to have an eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, experiencing all of those blessings. Yeah, no, uh, another exciting. thought I had is, um, okay, you... At the judgment seat of Christ, you get rewarded, right? Yes, sir. So it can't be. We have if 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 we if we're in heaven, we have everything. Mm-hmm. So what is the reward? Is it positions or because we have everything? 
Great question. So Paul talks about crowns and and he talks about these rewards as as positions of re- responsibility. And let me let me just say something about that. It, sometimes people get the wrong idea that that crowns means well, oh, I'm going to get a crown in heaven and then I'll get to boss everyone around. Well, <laughs> you're not going to have a sin nature in heaven, right? Yeah, right. Um, the purpose of 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 having a reward or a crown is to use it to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not so you can run around like a little tyrant and tell people to close schools or, well, I better not get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the the purpose of the rewards in, in heaven is for the body of Christ to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. okay. That makes sense. and And it's exciting to look forward to. Um, and so the question I have is, um, it's, it's, I've heard it referred to it, but what is, or who is the little flock? Let's look at Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12. So one of the things that will really help in Bible study is there are some things that are different. They're both true, but they're different. So for example, prophecy is when the things in the future are declared in advance. God writes prophecy because he knows exactly what will happen and he can speak about it beforehand. You and I don't really have the ability much to do that because we don't have the understanding that he does. That's what prophecy is. Mystery is wisdom that God hides until he chooses to reveal it. So we see that God can do two different things. One thing he can do is he can speak, he can predict, he can foretell the future and write it down long before it happens. He can do that if he wants. What he can also do is he can hide things for a long time until he chooses to reveal them. So we see scripture has both prophecy and mystery. Well, another thing it has is it has both an earthly purpose and a heavenly purpose. And God's earthly purpose centers around the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is going to receive an earthly kingdom. So look with me at Luke 12, 32. We're going to see something about the little flock. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, if you just think about this, when the Lord Jesus Christ was on earth, did he promise to give the kingdom to everyone in Israel? Well, he, he didn't because there were a lot in Israel that were unbelievers, right? Remember when he went into the temple and he, he saw the money changers and he was pretty upset with them? There were a lot of times during the Lord's earthly ministry where he encountered members of the nation of Israel that were in unbelief. And when he found those that were in unbelief, he didn't tell them that they were going to inherit spiritual blessings. He told them that they needed to repent and they needed to believe the truth. So my point is, what is the little flock? The little flock is that component, that part of Israel that was the believing remnant. It's not all of Israel that's going to get to the kingdom. It's the believing part of Israel that's going to get the kingdom. That's what the Lord described as the little flock in Luke 12, 32. Since he called it a little flock, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it was the vast majority of Israel. It was a, a fraction, a remnant of Israel that was believing, and they would inherit the kingdom. The true Israel. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Okay. Um, I have a question. Um, why the wrath of God and who was it directed to? Let's go to Colossians chapter three. And, and while we're turning there, let, let me just put it this way. If you step back and you ask yourself the question, why does God have wrath anyway? Like, why would, why would he do that? Why would mm-hmm. he be angry? The, the, the Lord God is holy. He, he is righteous. He is just. He is pure. He is honest. He is, he is every moral virtue, every excellence there is. And so sin, un, unrighteousness, is an offense to him. It is rebellion against his character. It is rebellion against his will. And so we sometimes, you know, don't take sin as seriously as we should. But God takes sin very seriously because he's a holy God. He's a perfectly holy and righteous and just God. So look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verse 6. For which things sake... The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So God doesn't have wrath for the body of Christ. He doesn't have it for the church, for believers. He has it for children of disobedience. Look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8. In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who does God take vengeance on? It's those that don't obey the gospel. So just so we're clear on this, there's a very, very simple way for anyone to avoid the wrath of God, to avoid God's vengeance. And that's simply to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ shed blood. It's, it's, it's free. It's available to everyone. You just need to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. The sad part, though, is, is what people sometimes do is they reject that. And they say, well, I'm, I'm good. My, my, my good works outweigh my bad. I don't need a savior. I'm, I'm all good. Sadly, that's, that's not the case. And uh, in fact, what all of humanity needs to do is they need to believe the gospel that Jesus Christ died for their sins. Yes, a free gift. So whether you're yes, good, so whether you're good or bad, you can suffer the wrath of God without Christ. Without Christ. Well, that, that see, that's a that's a great point. Let, let's look at this together. Look at Revelation twenty one. Revelation chapter twenty one. And look with me at verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, and you think that's a pretty bad list. Mm -hmm. Then notice what it says, and all liars. So think about this with me for a minute. How many sins do you have to commit to be a murderer. Well, uh, how many murders? You have to do one, right? If you commit just one murder, mm-hmm. you are a murderer. That's that's the way it works. So how many lies do you have to tell before you are a liar? 
And of course, the answer is one. Mm -hmm. So on that basis, all of humanity can be convicted of lying because all of humanity has, has lied. So now read the rest of the verse. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. See, what that verse says is th there are differences in life, right? There's, there are people that are, from a human perspective, good people. They're kind and they're charitable and they're generous and they have a lot of wonderful qualities. But the fact remains they are sinners. They may be very nice sinners. They may be very pleasant sinners, but they are sinners. And even one sin is sufficient to take someone to hell. So what Revelations 21.8 does is it says to humanity, yeah, there's different degrees of man's righteousness, but just even one lie, one sin is sufficient to take you to hell. So you do need a savior. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, not one is greater than the other. Okay. It's it's scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Okay, I have a question. Um, who will go into the earthly kingdom? It's a great question. So as you as you think about, people always wonder what's heaven going to be like. What's our future going to be like? Well, the body of Christ will be in heaven. We just saw that. Who will go into the earthly kingdom? Well, the earthly kingdom will be inherited by the nation of Israel. If you think back to our discussion of the little flock, fear not little flock, for it is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so believing Israel, so for example, if you think of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and the saints of time past and those saved under the during the gospels, all of them will be part of the earthly kingdom. And with that, we're going to go to break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to continue that thought. Um, so um, we'll be right back after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. If you are ready to be inspired, 
energized and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com and the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul and welcome back i'm your host michelle mix i'm your host uh, michael mix i'm your host pam lampton And I'm your host, David Reed. Okay. And um, I have a question. Um, How many verses in the Bible refer to the 70th week? So let's look at Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And actually, let's start in Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So you can see there, verse 24 talks about 70 weeks. And if you look at verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the last of the 70 weeks. Normally, we think of a week as seven days. That's the normal way that the language is used. But in Daniel 9, the week there, each week is seven years. So, 70 weeks was 490 years. The 70th week is what's described in Daniel 9, 27. Now, outside of Daniel 9, there are no passages that that use the term 70th week. But, um, so look, let's look at verse 27, for example. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So now look at Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, and let's look at verse 15. Matthew 24 and verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, 
Well, it's obvious what that's referring to because it's referring to Daniel and it's referring mm-hmm. to the abomination of desolation. Well, that's exactly what Daniel 9.27 talked about. So the, the, the correct answer to your question is the 70th week is mentioned by name in Daniel 9.27. Uh, it's not mentioned elsewhere, but the, the the concept that of what happens during that time of the man of, of sin and his activities, it's mentioned throughout the scriptures. It's mentioned in Matthew, and it's mentioned in Luke, and it's mentioned in multiple other places. Scripture has a lot to say about the 70th week because it is the future time of tribulation that comes on the earth. And so there's actually a lot of scripture that describes that period of time. Revelation has a lot to say about it. Hmm. Okay, that's good. Um, I have a question here. Do you believe that revelation is literal or allegory? We think that you should always interpret the Bible literally. And that, and by that, I mean the Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. Now, understand when we say that, get John 6, 35, if you would. Sometimes the Bible uses figurative language. So I'll give you an example. Look at John 6, verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Well, that's figurative language. Was he Mm -hmm. saying that he was wheat and barley and rye and what, I don't know what they made bread out of, but he he wasn't saying that he was physical bread. It's a figure of speech, right? It's It's a symbol, it's a metaphor that he was using there. So, and and we understand that. No no one reading that passage thinks that Jesus Christ is saying, you know, I am a loaf of bread because he's he's not. That being said, what we always want to do is Jesus interpret scripture literally and when it uses figures of speech, it's typically obvious that's what it's doing. And so you should interpret those as figures of speech, just as in John 6, verse 35. If you would, get with me Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. This is an important point. The way that you interpret scripture is you compare verse with verse. And you you asked earlier about the book of Revelation. What oftentimes what people do in the book of Revelation is they'll say it's an allegory and here I'll tell you the hidden meaning. And they will give you the hidden meaning and it's basically their understanding, their opinion as to what the verses mean. But it's not something that is based upon another verse. So let me give you an example of what we're supposed to do. Get with me 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So let's say you were reading in the book of Revelation and you came across something that was confusing and you weren't sure what it meant. And there are things that are confusing like that. 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. How does it do that? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So if you want to know what a verse means, you don't want to go get man's opinion. 
You don't want to come up with a private interpretation because Second Peter told you not to do that. What you want to do is you want to find another verse in the scripture that explains it. The Lord said in John 10 that the scriptures cannot be broken. The scriptures are interlaced like a puzzle. They fit together. So if you're looking at a particular verse and you don't understand it, all it means is I need to find another verse that explains it. Let me show you the same concept in Isaiah 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28, and we will look at verse 9. Isaiah 28 and verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So verse nine talks about whom shall he make, whom shall he teach knowledge? How do you learn? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Well, verse 10 tells you, you add precept to precept, precept to precept, line to line, here a little and there a little. So the way you grow in your understanding is you find verse with verse with verse. And that's why we favor the literal method of interpretation. When, when people go with the allegorical method, they look at a passage, come up with an explanation they like as to that passage. Well, that's not, that's private interpretation. That's not very helpful. But when you compare verse with verse, you will learn what the Holy Spirit teaches as to what the verses mean. Very good. All righty. I have a question here, um, and uh, does the believer have two natures? Let's turn to Romans 7. Does the believer have two natures? So the chapter that I think is most helpful about that is Romans 7. Romans chapter 7, and let's look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. The I there obviously is Paul because he wrote the book of Romans, so the I is a reference to the author. Now notice verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Paul's a very conflicted man, right? In other words, what he's saying there is, that which I do, I allow not. I do things that I don't think are proper. I, I don't approve of them. For what I would, that do I not. There are things I think I should do, but I don't do them. And then he says, but what I hate, that do I. So the things I think I should do, I don't. And the things that I detest, that's what I do. So Paul was very frustrated with himself. Let's keep reading. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's the problem believers have. We have sin that dwells in us. The bodies that we have are bodies of flesh and they have a sin nature. So if a believer, if you ever struggle and you think, why am I doing this? Or why am I failing to do something that I should do? 
Well, the reason why is you have a sin nature, and that sin nature wars against your spirit. So look with me at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Our flesh isn't any good. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So Paul's inward man delighted in the things of God. But notice what he then says. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So to Michael's question, does the believer have two natures? He sure does right? There's the inner man that wants to serve Christ and wants to live according to the scriptures and do what is right. And then there's the flesh that has the sin nature and they war against each other. And we don't always do what we should. The, the situation of being a saved person today is you have this sort of conflict in your life. Verse 24, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, if Paul had struggles in the flesh, are we going to have struggles in the flesh? And the answer is we're going to. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So his mind and his flesh were different. He had different natures and they wanted to do different things. Now, what happened as a lost person, you didn't have the mind of Christ. So you just walked in the flesh and there was somewhat some degree of peace, if you will. Now, it wasn't a good peace because you were alienated from the life of God. But what happens as a believer is you have inner conflict, right? Because the mm -hmm. inner man wants to do something from what the flesh wants to do. So right um, before we end our show today, mm -hmm. um, with everything that we have, have talked about, especially with the two natures um, and everything, um, how do or how does someone come to this point where they're in, you know, in the family of Christ and they are, can look forward to that rapture? What should they do? Yeah, so what we need to do is Titus calls it our blessed hope. And, uh, you know, the, one of the realities is life on earth is going to have challenges, right? It's a sin-cursed earth that's going to have problems. Those who have faith in Christ, Paul says to set our affection on things above. We look not at the things which are seen, but those which are not seen. And so that's where our attention needs to be. A lot, you know, if you just look out at this world, it can be very disappointing. But if we instead focus our eyes on what we have in Christ— it's very inspiring. Yeah, and knowing who you are in Christ is really important. Yes. Amen. And, and accept that uh, death, burial, and resurrection, um, and then you can have that life. Uh, thank you for everyone joining us today, and we will see you back here next week. Yeah.
You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. 